0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with World War II gave us craft, writing for Godot and Maria Oklahoma. And
1: Without the arts, we are diminished.
0: We had the kind of creative freedom. I
1: was, I was on television as a child and then I had I was in Cotty's
0: happy hour. She went across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that.
1: Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's
0: yeah. all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and welcome to The Stages Podcast. My guest today is Mitchell Butel. As Artistic Director, Mitchell Butel took the reins of the state theatre company South Australia in a year like no other. The multifaceted theatre maker had not only commenced an exciting new venture, but also faced navigating the company through a global pandemic. His resilience, versatility and creativity... Evidence through a lifetime on stages and screens, provided the perfect armour to take on this ominous force. He describes what that has been like, as well as reflecting on a celebrated and extensive career. Uh, Mitchell Butel, nice to see you. Great to see you, Peter. Um, Peter who? Peter who? Yeah. That show business. That show business, Yeah. <laughs> Mitch, I remember a conversation with you several years ago when you were pondering what you were going to do next. Do you remember that? Where were we? I forget. But, but yeah, yeah. But you, you—I don't know. You, you, whether you'd felt that you'd sort of accomplished much of what you wanted to do as an actor, and I don't know, as we all do, mm. that existential sort of pondering. What's next? You know, as I age. Are are there still jobs for me?
1: Yeah. Do
0: I want to do something else? Yeah. I think you probably needed to reset
1: yourself. Yeah, that's so true. Well, it's funny. um, Ever since a young fellow, I did look at people who who did lots of, you know, who loved making theatre and making up, did it in different ways. So people like Jeremy Sims and John Paulson and, you know, Pamela Rabe and people who went, oh, I want to do a little bit more than just be the actor in town and... And I was, I was like, I started directing about ten years ago, and then I was, and I did kind of go. Oh, I really want to develop that part of my career. And I, Patrick McIntyre, who's now the executive director at Sydney Theatre Company, I remember when I was starting, and I was oh, I really want to get you know get this thing happening. He, and he said, give me a lift home one night. And He said, well, chop chop. And I went, oh fuck, okay, that's true. I better get cracking. Like I am like forty now, and and so it was a real him going. Time's ticking. You better if you want to kind of turn the boat around, you better get moving. And, um, yeah, so I kind of started following that way. And, and so, the, you know, I directed a bit of student stuff, but the first kind of show with semi, it was a co-op, but with professionals was Violet that I did for um, Blue Saint Productions at The Hayes. And that's, I have to say, that's all because of Josh Robson, Damien Birmingham, and Sam Dottermaid who played Violet, going, oh, yeah, you could do this. And because Sam and I had done a funny thing happen on, on the way to the forum and... It's from there, really. I started to go. Oh yeah, I actually really, really love directing, and it's so. Then I know I love acting too, and never wanted to give it up. But suddenly, and because I've been teaching for like the last ten years before that, they all started to kind of coalesce a bit. And I went, oh, I think this is this feels good. And then when this job came up here at uh, say, Theatre Company, South Australia, I, I went, oh, this feels. I didn't think I'd get the job at all, so I kind of applied on a whim. Thinking, oh, this will be a good way to test my mettle in interviews and stuff, and then I, I ended up here in Adelaide. So, because <laughs> you gathered a, a considerable amount of credits in a short period of time, yeah. Since that violent? as a director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I think I th- I'm not sure the number. Like, I think like 13 or 14 shows in the last kind of six or seven years. Yeah, but there was a range of, of repertoire too. There were plays, there were musicals, there were
0: stage concerts. Mm. Um,
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, So a a few things at the haze, like Violet and Carolina Change, and then the the way things like this happen is so random and arbitrary. Like, I did Violet. Penny Chapman, TV producer, saw it, told Neil Armfield, oh, you've got to see Violet. It's amazing. Mitchell's done such a good job. Neil couldn't see it, but at the same time, SSO asked Neil to direct Porky and Bess. Neil said, oh, I can't do it. You should get Mitchell. Mitchell's doing... Good stuff with musicals at the moment, so I got Porgy and Bess through that, and which led to other concerts like Candide and Funny Girl, and so it's it's all very you know arbitrary how things you've you've got to kind of have to ride the wave you're on I think and go oh right this is this is happening now well, and certainly a wave to catch yeah 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 and then like about ten years ago too I I did think about moving to New York too I thought oh that'd be fun to do and I started the whole green card thing with um that lawyer that everybody used who passed away sadly this year, George, asked. and um, But yeah, things started rolling here and I went... So I paid my three grand to the immigration lawyer, which I've ne- never... They've just they've parked that money and I've never done anything with it. But I'm glad. This wave's a good wave that's happening now. So it's fun.
0: Had you always um, harbored an ambition to direct? Or th- this was something just started
1: to emerge? I mean, when I was and little, I, I directed my sister and my brother and cousins in... Christmas nativity things at you know at Christmas time but I really wanted to act when I was younger but I guess working being so lucky to work with so many different directors you do start to go oh I see what gets the best out of people what where, being a good facilitator is better than being a control freak you know and I get such joy out of seeing people do well and going I think this is a good platform for you. I think I can help you get to a higher level. I they like like my little babies, people I direct. They're like I just get such a kick out of it and so it's really really satisfying. So yeah. Uh,
0: uh, folk might say that you've not trained formally as a director, but but you've certainly served an apprenticeship in rehearsal rooms watching mm. a whole range of directors and and I guess absorbing through osmosis mm. what works and what doesn't. And and not always, but I think actors tend to make the better
1: directors, well, I think or they certainly know with how actors. to with dealing yeah. with actors. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I never formally trained as an actor or a director, but um, I went through Australian theatre for young people and packed when I was young and lived with three nighter students for three years. while I was doing my arts law degree at New South Wales Uni and I did majored in theatre. So I'd swap my Moliere Brecht essays for their Laban or and Bogart Be- notes at home and. So I lived with Euron Lifshitz, who now runs Circa, the physical theatre group. Sophie Heathcote, beautiful actress who's now passed away. Daniela Payne, who was her boyfriend at the time. So we had a great time. And then, um, yeah, just I learned on the job. Like I often say Jackie Weaver was my first acting teacher because I did Six Degrees of Separation with her and John May and Robert Alexander and Sue Walker and with the Wayne Harrison director. And we entered from the audience, all the kids in it. And I, I, I entered like an hour into the show. So I had to sit... We ran for like 11 weeks at the drama theatre. So I would watch them every night get better and polish things. And I'm like, oh, that's how you get better. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of very good formative experiences. And we and doing Greece with David Atkins and Guy Pearce and stuff. I, that was That went for like 14 months too. So repetition was actually really good because you get... Unlike... I think a lot of students now, they do a play for four nights and they go, oh, I was brilliant and that's it. But when you have to work... Keep something fresh or make it better, the repetition of those kind of shows. It really gives you a chance to hone stuff, so yeah. yeah. And if you're thought. in a position to watch things again and again and again, mm. um, it's not you don't always have
0: that opportunity. But you know, I, I, I talked to someone like Gail Edwards, mm. who as a youth spent so much time in the cinema watching mm. the same film again and again and again because wow. her grandmother was an usher.
1: Wow, so and she points to that That's as being really formative. Yeah, one of teachers. actually, Hannah Chiswick, who when I did Boeing Boeing, that Matthew Water show that came out here, which flopped in Melbourne, but. Hannah Chizik was the associate and she is good mate of John Cairds, the guy who co-directed the original Les Miz. And when she was 14, she said, I want to be a director. So he took her to a matinee of Les Miz, gave her a notepad and a pencil and went, right, I want you to write down everything that could be better in this show or what you didn't, what doesn't work, what does work. And she did that And the end. He went, right, you're a, direct, a director now. She said, what do you mean? He said, that's all it is. It's just you exercising your taste to go, oh, I think there's a way of improving that or... Yeah. And ultimately, that's, all you're doing is editing, I think, like uh, facilitating, providing a platform and then going, oh, let's shave a bit of this off and add a bit of that spice and, and actually letting the artist do the work. So it's fun. Yes, Chef. That's right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this may be an unfair question, but who
0: are those directors that you've worked with over, over the, the many years that you've been an actor that you
1: felt particularly allowed you to, to fly as a performer? There's so many of them. I mean, there's a few I didn't like, but most of them I've, I've really learned from. Like David Atkins, I learned a lot from about focus and discipline. Barry Kosky, I learned a lot about like, like taking an idea and pushing it to its extreme. Simon Phillips, I think, is the king of like theatrical comedy, like in terms of perfecting jokes and moments and detail. Someone like Simon Stone is always looking for the truth and like the absolute humanity of a moment and and so simon's i love simon too because he's quite controlling but in a very playful um pied piper kind of way so people who know what they want but also give space for the actor kind of to do their thing are the directors i've really really enjoyed working with marion potts has been a great influence on me as well, and. Marion, very detailed note giver. Like after, I did play with her the Cafe Lado kid, that Tony McNamara wrote. And she, I remember after one note session, I went, "That's you've given me seventy seven notes." let <laughs> <laughs> <I> count them. <laughs> and that you know, and then she said, "Well, act, make sure you action all of them." You know, okay. So yeah, I've been so lucky, like with Robin Nevin's a great director too. Like a great, like you were saying about Gail, like really firm believer in text and punctuation, and there's no comma there. Don't breathe. There's no comma. If the writer had intended you to breathe, they would have put a comma there. You know. So yeah, lots. So many of them, so different and um, and helpful. You know. It's not, not a bad me. list. Yeah, I've been yeah. really lucky. So.
0: How do you give your notes? Do you write on post do sort? Oh, send emails the next day. Or?
1: It's. I'd rather give them as a group, like so. Everybody's meeting. Yeah, of them, so yeah. everybody knows what's been said. Sometimes you'll find that, like I. Uh, directed ripcord um this great david Lindsay bear play at the end of last year with nancy hayes and carmel johnson and sometimes it's like nancy and carmel have the two lead roles and shared were on stage the whole time nancy particularly and sometimes it's hard in company meetings when there's two main people and the whole note session be a lot of it becomes about them so that's sometimes a bit boring for everyone else or it looks like you're picking on them and so a show like that, you have to go, oh, I might have private note sessions for some of these bits, or we'll work on this stuff offline. And But when you have to fast-track it, like typing them out can be great as well, you know, when, when people... Because it's funny, in the old days, like someone like Simon Phillips, the deal was you would have to stay after the show in previews in the, the, the um, corridors at the, you know, uh, the art centre till two in the morning with glass of red wine and Simon would give you the notes, you know. That was just expected, but now OHS wise, oh, I have to be out by eleven yeah. and blah blah. And some I like to get notes before the next day as yeah. well. Second process, yeah. And as an actor too, I still do this whenever I'm performing. Every night I will go home, get into bed, get my script, get my exercise book out, and go right. I can do that better. That was fucked. That was terrible. There's there's a laugh here that I'm not getting why is so-and-so doing that? I think that's killing the moment. Every, I'll make notes myself every single night. And, you know, and sometimes they're notes to self, for hopefully, that the director can give to other people. And then, then you have to go, Peter, I think there's a moment that we're missing. Like, I'll never give an actor another note. But if I think something's going on, I'll, I will, if there's an assistant director or something, I'll, you know, mention something. So, but I think that's and you have to be like that if you want to get better like and I the great actors Australian actors I've loved on stage like Robin for example like I saw when Robin did Masterclass Terence McNally I saw that like four times Rodney Fisher directed it beautiful each time better 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 I'm like this chick is going home and working on this and trying to perfect moments and that's so great and that's why I love seeing a show at the beginning of a season and seeing it at the end if it's a good actor Sometimes you see an actor and you go, oh, it's exactly the same as well as an opening night. So, But well, how joyous. What a, like, it's a sport. Like, it's someone getting better and better at Absolutely. their job. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Working with that, that company, that ensemble of actors. Yeah. To support,
0: yeah. Understand how yeah. everyone's going to play their part. And, yeah. I love it. And how you can serve each other best yeah, and the audience. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What about your play, favourite playwrights to, to perform and also perhaps to watch? Mm,
1: wow. Um, Oh, I've been so lucky in performing so many. Text-wise, I loved doing "Morning Becomes Electra with um, Barry Kosky. That was Eugene O'Neill, because just such dense kind of melodramatic, and you have to embrace the full onness of that language, otherwise you look like an idiot. But then I loved, I loved. I don't know if, I've done a few Neil Simons, which, yeah, and I great. loved "Little Me," for example, yeah. one of my great um, with the great Deborah Burn. One of my favourite shows ever. They he it, did Laughter on the 2015. Yeah, yeah, with, that Adam Cook directed with Dame and Harriman and John Mill and et cetera. Um, again, like the perfect gags and you just go, oh, what a joy to... Oh, and Gary McDonald, of course, was the lead in it. Yeah, so, so, but... And I mean, also, like, I've been lucky to do a few shows. I've done Othello, The Merchant of Venice and um, Romeo and Juliet a few times. And he, he's not a bad writer, old Shakespeare, you know. Yeah. I remember when, um, when I did a for Bell Shakespeare, I played Rodrigo and Marcus Graham was the And Marcus went off for a few nights because he had migraines. So I'd learnt all of the because I was the understudy, but I'd never been rehearsed. But I went on, and uh, but I didn't have any time to do any acting. I just said the lines, and you know, and Wayne Blair kind of moved me around the stage. But I got all the same, you know, no disrespect to Marcus, but I got all the same kind of gasps and laughs. And I went... Oh, it's quite a good writer, this Shakespeare. You don't really <laughs> need to do much with it, do you? Just need to say it loudly and clearly, and the work kind of does itself. So, I mean, so what a gift! I mean, I I don't have a great memory for mem- for remembering plays after I'm done. Like, um, you can't quote lines. From not plays, a lot. Can, a bit of Angels, Angels America. I mean, there's a great writer too. Yeah. I can remember Lewis's big a lot of Lewis's big speech from Angels because so, it so was you know three pages long. But I tend to... Because you're constantly having to replenish the file. I'm not great. I'm not like Martin Sheen on The West Wing who can pull out tracks of Shakespeare or Gilbert and Sullivan. I... Um, but when that writing's within you, it's it's yeah. you know, makes you look so good. Makes you look better than you are. There are those quotes that stay with
0: you from, from
1: roles that you've done which which mm. resonate somehow. Mm. Eliza,
0: I know your head hurts. I know your nerves are as raw as meat in a butcher shop window. But, but think what you're trying to achieve. The language of Shakespeare and Milton oh, and the Bible.
1: See, that's in you. Yeah. It's quite- I, I remember things about I remember things that emotionally strike with me. Like I remember Six Degree Separation, there's a line imagination that's our out that's our escape you know there's certain lines I remember from you know shows but yeah getting old now I should have had (laughs) more St John's Wort or something to to keep my brain brain in check so how are you enjoying Adelaide you've been here for two years now Uh, two and a half years since the beginning of 2019 yeah I love it it's um so I it's a beautiful company who, who turned which turns 50 next year um so it was legislated into being. It, it was the South Australian Theatre Company. You must be the same age, eh? Well, you know, how do you, I have to. I'm I'm a year older than this company. Right. So, um Yeah, but legislated into its current form in 1972 by the great Don Dunstan, and uh, so so it had been around. Before that, in a kind of co amateur co-op form, but a professional theatre company from 72. So, yeah, it's a beautiful company. Quite. We're probably the second smallest of all the state theatre companies in, in the country, and, um, but great community of artists here. We perform primarily in the Festival Centre or in other joints around the town, like Her Majesty's or the Royalty um, or the Odeon. It's great. There's a lot. Because it's, it's a, cause it's a small, smaller town than Sydney and Melbourne, the community's, the artistic community is quite connected and quite supportive and collaborative. And, yeah, so I'm having a great old time here. Excellent. I'm You're, learning a lot. You were in London when you heard you got the job. Oh, you've done your research. Haven't you? <laughs> um, yeah, so I was doing Rumpelstiltskin for Windmill and State Theatre, a co-pro at South Bank. And, uh, no, I got, I heard, my last interview was the Sunday before we flew out, we'd rehearsed here, uh, with Paul Capsis and Sheridan Harbridge and some, did my last interview on the Sunday flew out that night and then when I arrived in London you know 24 hours later I got the call at the airport actually to say I got the job
0: which was great right. do you think you're in with a, a chance uh, I, I, I say that because there's, there's not a lot of actors in, in the country mm. who have gone on to take the mantle of artistic director
1: perhaps Robin Evan is the yeah, only other one and Rosalba Clemente who was a former AD right. here okay. at State Theatre um, yeah, I was very surprised when when I got the second interview. I went, "Oh, okay, this is you know," because it was quite a long process. I went, "Okay, this is obviously going okay, but but um, but as I said to you before, we were speaking on air. I I kind of was very honest with what I wanted to do because I thought I've got nothing to lose here. Like life in Sydney's fine and that's all good. So if I don't get it, no drama. So I'm going to say exactly what I want want to do, and." Um, yeah and they believed it so yeah and what's good is it, actually one of the ladies who was on my panel is still on the board now Diana Rank who's fantastic and she has said you know it's great that what I have set out to do in those early interviews I have done on in terms of like changing the face of the company in terms of its diversity in, t- in terms of some of the work we want to do you know introducing elements of music theatre back in and you know a bit more comedy and stuff. They're still kind of dark, you know, kind of um, abrasive works as well, but just kind of mixing up the kind of repertoire a little bit. So, yeah. And you've had to navigate all of this in times of a pandemic. Yeah, which, like, bizarrely for us was quite transformative. Like, it sounds weird, but so we're we're essentially a loss-leading company, so every show costs us money generally uh, rather than makes us money. You know, something like The Gospel According to Paul that Jonathan Biggins just did, made a packet here, which was great. Um, but, so we cancelled five shows in 2020. Um, but bizarre, it did, the company remained solvent because, um, you know, you, you don't have lost leading, big loss leading shows. But we were really lucky also to, we got a hundred grand from the Arts SA to do this big digital project called To Cameron 2.0 where we filmed basically nine hours of, kind of newly minted South Australian monologues about South Australian life, using the Decameron, that old Black Plague um, novella as a kind of basis for each week there was a different theme, you know, those who have sacrificed, those who love, those who seek revenge. So we employed like uh, 120 artists, writers and actors, and with a real focus on kind of queer, culturally diverse, uh, people living with disability, so suddenly this whole new intake of artists came into the company, many of whom are now going into our main stage work. So it was really good for us, actually. Mm-hmm. We got to, a lot of, you know, like 20,000 South Australians watched it. And so it meant that we could change, shake up the kind of stable, of like with, there's so many veteran actors here who we still use and who are wonderful, but a lot of new faces coming in, into the company as a result of that so COVID was kind of yeah. good for us in a way well yeah for a very shitty cloud there were a lot yeah, of silver linings yeah, for, totally. for people. Yeah. yeah yeah
0: so March 15 2020 what were you doing when, when it all
1: stopped we were doing Dance Nation mm-hmm. our show which had done the Adelaide Festival was in Sydney and yeah, we'd done two or three previews at Belvoir we're about to open and Sue Donnelly and Eamon Flack came in and went, we're going to pull it. Like, they were allowed to keep going, but and then two days later, the lockdown happened. So it was all a bit strange and weird. It was a really cool show, and it looked great at Belvoir, and, you know, um, fabulous nine-person cast, two boys and seven amazing women. And But, yeah, we were out of there. And so I was like, oh, God, what's... And what is this? I, you know, I'm put some cans of tuna and tomato and some toilet paper in a, in, a, in a bag and got back to Adelaide going... I don't know what it's... I thought it would be World War Z by the time I got here. It was just such so unknowable and strange. It
0: came out... Well, it didn't come out of nowhere. It mm. seemed to sort of happen mm.
1: in Australia for us.
0: What? Theatres
1: are closed now. But, Even though we'd known about the virus yeah. for, for a couple of months. So we'll see. Oddly enough, we... Um, all the state theatre companies are part of a thing called the Confederation of State Theatre Companies. And I'm, at the beginning of the festival all the we had a meeting of all the state theatre companies here so all the ADs and EDs get together at our office. We're all having, you know, chat 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 during the day. At the end of the day, Patrick McIntyre from SCC went, Now, what about this COVID thing? Um this thing in Wuhan, like if this happens we're all screwed, aren't we? Like if they shut down theaters and we all kind of Ah uh-huh. <laughs> laugh laugh, pass the Negroni. And then like sure enough, like a month later, it was all off. So and we were like laughing about it a month before. So And and also what was great about COVID is the collegiality that, that kind of was... I mean, that was already a very collegiate group, but rather than meeting quarterly, all the ADs and the EDs started meeting on Zoom pretty much once a week just to go, hey, how are you going? And how'd you go with government? What can we lobby? What have you done in terms of um, like industrial matters? And, and also unifying how... And everyone was really good about paying out actors and creatives and, you know, making sure no one was left behind kind of thing. So it was it was actually a really... Yeah, that's, that community yeah, which, which yeah. theatre folk art. And so, you know, STC, in many ways it was much harder for them because they're a much bigger company with much higher turnover and had to, you know... And that, plus they had all those capital works going on. And so they, they... STC nearly went under. Had it not been for... State government injection back into them, that'd be gone. So it was a really interesting time to work. And also, you know, JobKeeper was great for some people. For us, we're a statutory authority, as is Queensland, so that didn't, we couldn't access it. So it was, yeah, it was lots of lessons to be learned during it. Hmm. Tell me about a theatre visit to
0: Andrew Lee Webber's Song and Dance
1: oh my god you have done <laughs> that's on wikipedia isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that's not the only
0: place I do my research uh, um, um, is it correct Was that the show that really turned you on to I loved that to theatre
1: yeah the f- so the first musical I saw was Pippin with Nancy Hayes and Johnny Farnham and Colin Hewitt and Ronnie Arnold and then but I think Song and Dance was then I saw Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the old region or something and but that was as a young as a kind of you know young adult song and the da- song and dance was the first mum took my sister and I I sat by myself I could I could only get two seats for them in row L and I was in row D or something and I loved it so much Gay McFarlane was um playing the Marty Webb Sierra Brightman role and I just thought it was I mean it was all New York and fabulous and a woman like you know in love and out of love and and I remember saying to mum at halftime, because at the Theatre Royal in Sydney, oh, and how amazing that, like, you know, it's set in New York and they make the theatre vibrate like it's New York. <laughs> that's it's just like, you idiot. It's, we're, above, we're above Martin Place. So <laughs> that's the trains going up. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's part of the Sugar show. It's 4D. Yeah, yeah. So, and all those wonderful dancers, like, um what was it, John Meehan and Leonie Page and Anthony O'Keefe and. Charita Costa and you know in the in the dance but I I loved it and then I loved the Theatre Royal because it was like that Little Shop of Horrors I think was the next year with Christopher Pate etc and and Denise Kirby and then I think Cats was like the year afterwards and then Les Mis and Family Opera and. I just love that place. I thought the Theatre Royal was a magic place. Crazy for you. Crazy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. still is, and I'm so glad it's coming back. Coming back, yeah. Yeah, thank God for Jack Mundy. Like, you know. mm. Yeah, it's wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Mm. So your family took you to the theatre, obviously. Mm. They were
1: your artistic influences. Yeah. I I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, I was so lucky that Mum went, that's money worth... I guess I I really wanted, like, when I was earlier, please, can I go and see Nicholas Nickleby? And, like, no, it's too much money and stuff. But she clearly knew that it was a big deal for me, my mum, and, like, taking us to song and dance or taking us to um, other shows, like, oh, I mean, she she knew what was going on, even though I, you know, it was much later we had the bigger conversations about who I was. (laughs) She knew. And I remember Dad, too, like, the first play that I bought a ticket... Myself was Michael Gow's away, Richard Waretz's production. Oh, that's right, because Dad took me to see Company with Geraldine and John May, etc., around about the same time. I think Company was the first thing I saw in the drama theatre, which again was transformative, and you know, like Tony Sheldon and Simon Burke, and you know, amazing production. And I remember Geraldine singing. Ladies who lunch and literally looking at me in G4 going everybody rise. Dad, she looked at me. That's how she's so great. But I remember Dad took me that loved it, and then like a year or so later, I said I really want to see Away, and Dad's like, oh, that's a lot of money. And I remember him taking me to the Tech at the Koji Bay Hotel. There was a tech outlet, and I bought my ticket to the matinee of Away, and that play for me that changed my life. Away, I just went, oh wow, this this makes. Judy Farr, Rob Alexander, Graham Blundell, Michelle Ford. And, like, I was like, oh, this is a play that was felt like it was speaking to me. Like, Gwen, the Judy Farr's character, was quite similar to my mum on many levels. Like, just, you know, a woman who'd been through a lot of crises and was quite stern. And, and I was just so utterly blown away by And a it. couple
0: of characters your age, too. Yeah, like
1: yeah. And yeah, yeah. About which I have a funny story, actually. A few years later, they did another production and you had to audition in pairs, Tom and I auditioned with, um, I won't name the actress's name, I auditioned with this girl, and, and I saw her on the train a few weeks later. I, she got it and I didn't. And, um, I, said, and, and, and I, she, I was like, oh, congratulations, that's great. She said, what a shame you didn't get it. And uh, it's hard to do this without names. And I said, I oh, know. She said, you would have been perfect, that role. I mean, he's dying of cancer. The guy <laughs> who got it is like really good looking and healthy. You would have been much better. Well, oh, oh, thanks, charming. Oh, thanks, Danielle. There you go. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> great
0: play. Changed my life. Yes, mm. you can understand why it's become an Australian classic. Yeah, and yeah, and
1: we see it again and totally. again. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And Michael, my Michael's, you know, Michael Gow then got me back to do Venetian Twins in Queensland many years later. So he's been very important in my life too, Michael. He's a bit of a mentor for me also. So yes. there's, mm. there's um, signposts along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And elders are so important in this. This um, I mean, you you have great respect for elders of this industry as well, and mm. it's so important because it's by, it, it's a, our history is an oral history, but essentially that's why what you're doing is so amazing. Mm. Okay. But they're the people that I go, you know, and, and great people like, like Geraldine and Jackie and Peter Carroll and John Gaydon and Gillian Jones and Pam, and like you go, wow. That's they're the people who inspire me and you want to go I want to be like them you know it's so important so and I think encouraging love of theatrical elders is a really important thing for us to be doing too to remind people of that you know do you think the industry can be ageist at times oh 100% yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, I particularly think too in terms of there's such a focus on it's wonderful a focus on new auteurs and new directors and but I mean, I even find with this job here, it's so hard to, like, if you're a if you're a kind of senior white male director in Australia at the moment, it's hard to get a job, mm. you know, because, mm. like, and it's totally fair enough that the pendulum has swung that there's there's gender parity is now a big thing and and ensuring a diversity of ethnicities in who's directing that's all awesome, but I do go. Yeah, there's a, there's a focus on on the young as opposed to a focus on the um, experienced, which is which is sometimes you know detrimental, I think, to the industry itself. Like I look at someone like Richard Cottrell, who I did Arms of the Man for STC a few years ago. I learnt so much from that guy. He was 83 at the time, yeah. brilliant. You know, like very old school on some levels, but the kind of they have a link to a past beyond yeah, them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and all of that Richard knowledge. started Ian McKellen's career. And, you know, yeah. and he said, "He said, as I said to my friend Ian e. Forster one day, you're like, what did you just say? <laughs> 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 it's so important. There's so much to be learned from. Because theatre is an old, old, old tradition. It's like playing the piano. Like, it's the, the nature of what. Yeah, theatre, we can have multimedia and, you know, screens can talk at us and we can interact with AI on stage. But at the end of the day, it's about. Whether it's immersive or interactive, it is about people telling a story in the darkness. You know, so mm-hmm. it hasn't changed from you know, from caveman onwards, really. So I did a
0: show with the lovely Ron Hadrick once, mm. and you might know the story. There's a it was a production of um, Coriolanus, I mm-hmm. think, and Vivian Lee was in it, and she has her hands chopped yeah, off, right. and she has to write her, Lavinia. Yes, oh, yeah, and she yes. has to write, take up a stick, and write the name of her. Um, assaulters in the sand yeah. and she was doing it one night and it slipped from her prosthetic arms or whatever they were the stick rolled off onto the stage and Noel Coward came back afterwards to see her and, knock her out the door and greeted her with saying hello butter stumps <laughs> and, uh, have you ever heard that story? No, I oh well, it's been her affair that's so I was telling right. the story in the dressing room one night and Ron Hadrick said that's right he was in the company so he could Rome confirm that it happened you know wow. but but yes these elders who have links to
1: yeah. all sorts of history that yeah. we we mustn't uh forget oh or that's so good that's why i say any rehearsal room that i'm in or slash running we if someone has an anecdote we must stop for the anecdote mm. anecdotes are so important mm-hmm. you know I, mean, I probably tell too many of them, but they're fun and it's oh, what, how you learn, you know. Yeah, mm. yeah. And
0: I think that's one of the reasons I started this podcast too, mm. because, you know, being in
1: so many rehearsal rooms and hearing those stories, mm. and the, they need to be captured. Oh, it's great. It's what, what you did at McDonald College, I thought was so great too. The way you'd have quotes all over the building of, you know, great stories or great moments. and Yeah. <laughs> it's course. so important to be reminded yeah. of that. Mm.
0: Yeah. The Fantastics... That was one of your
1: very first shows, wasn't it? That was my first show in Sydney, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So, uh, but, but an illustrious company. Uh, Nancy Hayes directed it. Nancy Hayes and Diana Denley. Right. Tony Sheldon was in it. Tony Sheldon, Tony Taylor, Victoria Nichols, David Wood, Frank Garfield, Alinta Carroll. I think that was all. Beautiful. Um, at the Newtown, it's called the Newtown Actors Group and it performed in the Studio Theatre, which is now the Theatre Newtown, performing arts high school. It's part of their their yep. campus. Yeah, it's great. Sheldon and, and Taylor became incredible mentors to me. So I mean there's two more people who I look up to a lot. So and uh, yeah, and, and, you know, took me under their wing and educated me like they used to have the biggest biggest video collection of music theatre and, you know, saw me who the Nicholas brothers were, showed me who Gwen Verdon was and did da, da da and mm-hmm. I'd go up there and have a, Sheldon would make a curry and we'd watch videos for four in the morning and, you know. I often houseminded for them when they were away, and I would just lie to people and say, oh, "I can't come out; I'm very busy." Because <laughs> yes. I get another video from there yeah, and learn. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, well, like you too. You you have yeah. a massive video collection. Oh, the yeah. Mike Walsh shows and yeah. all that stuff. I love all that knowledge.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's what frustrates me about the generation today. You you mentioned some some names, some actors, some before. They have no idea what you're talking about. No. They have YouTube. Mm. They have the world mm. at their fingertips.
1: Yeah. Um, but but there's so much now, I yeah. guess, isn't there? Yeah, like if you want to see Jennifer Holliday do, and I'm telling you, I'm going you can go to YouTube straight away. You don't have to go Absolutely. to the Lincoln Center Library and no. get the video out. And, exactly, you know, yeah. Tommy Cooper, who's he? Mm. You, you can see a whole bunch of yeah, yeah performances. He's he's gay. Yeah, you know? I do. Th- I do think a lot of them though do. Get on to past so, like there's a biggest obsession with 80s music now with with young millennials and so I go oh maybe there's a bit of love of history there so yeah yes it's so important though yeah. but that was that was a beautiful sh- and Nancy you know I said this recently when she was doing Ripcord she was in the first show I ever saw which was Pippin she gave me my first job in Sydney um, you know the first thing I ever directed pro- professionally was in a theatre that was named after her and the first. Show I directed for this company she was in, so I'm like, wow. So I'm like, okay, you, you, I guess you're pretty important to my life. Yeah, so. yeah. And what a, I mean, what a stateswoman she is in terms of professionalism. Always first on the floor after a tea break. Lines down, never forgets every note actioned, like the bomb. That woman, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and trained in the school of J C Williams. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, which, which similar to me doing David Atkins stuff, it's about focus and discipline and, you know. But also what Nancy's got, because she's got mischief and a great love of, and of the the joy of it, you know. Like, that has never faded for Nancy, and I think that's why she's so great, because she gags for it, you know what I mean? So, she's beautiful. Mm. She is, Mm. she is indeed. So you've, you've
0: uh, demonstrated terrific versatility in, in plays and musicals, comedies, dramas. Is there, is there a style that you
1: prefer? The grass is always greener for me. Whenever I'm doing a play, I'm like, Ugh, I wish I was in a musical. And when I'm in a musical, I'm like, Ugh, I wish I was being serious in a play. So it's actually the kind of switching from styles which has always turned me on. Like if I was just doing music theatre, that I think I'd be bored. If I was just doing you know legit drama I'd be bored so it's it's the mucking around it's when people go oh I didn't know you did that which I go oh that's fun like I just directed an opera for Pinch Garden, you know a 17th century baroque opera about which I know very little but it was great because I, I was like oh I have to learn now about this thing and and pretend I'm, I'm constantly pretending and faking my way through, through things and you know just being a fraudulent <laughs> trickster so that's and that's fun because you always I think you always if you keep stretching yourself beyond that which you can already do you know then you expand a bit well you were certainly stretching yourself in the, the last few roles that you've
0: taken on before you've taken the mantle at South Australian Theatre Company as artistic director shows like Angels in America and The Merchant of Venice I mean they're big roles that you were playing is there a different skill set required for those or a different stamina
1: mm. uh, Angels was long and intense but because it's quite filmic it was bizarrely quite easy to do because it just rolls very quickly just on the go Merchant of Venice I found really hard but, but great because it was my natural energy I guess even though I'm old and haggard and falling apart now is a more kind of, I guess, a fast kind of up energy, whereas Shylock, particularly the way Annie up wanted it, the director, was very solid and very slow and measured. And she had to really beat a new rhythm into me, which I initially resisted. And um, it was great. I found it difficult, but ultimately I went, oh, wow, this is a, actually it's that Meryl Streep thing about... The role is always inside of you. You're not putting it on. You're actually just bringing it out. But going, oh, I do have this slow, older guy who's just mm, in there. And that was really great to find. And then when I did Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, I played, like, various characters in that. One of them was, like, an old banker, very solid. And I I kind of went, oh. I wrote to Annie Lou and said, I couldn't have done that guy had I not done that with you because I didn't know how to access that tempo in myself so so yeah it's great when things like that come along and it was I found it hard and you know and but she was very tough Annie Lou on me and it was good it was yeah what
0: about an extraordinary role like Mr Burns I mean the the physical and vocal demands in in presenting something like that so kind are are huge Uh, though I mean how do you care for your tools we, uh, you know, uh, wow. Your voice. <laughs> your the voice bishop to, to the <laughs>
1: no, when, when you're doing that eight
0: times a week, I mean, obviously, yeah. you, you, you have to treat yourself like an athlete.
1: Yeah. Well, that was intense because I was doing Mr. Burns at night in Sydney while rehearsing for Merchant of Venice during the day for four weeks. It was a crossover. What extremes? Yeah. So I actually I actually gave up coffee for those four weeks because I thought, I can't have the dip. So I, and having just come from working with Richard Cottrell, who always has a sleep at, at um, lunchtime for half an hour, so I would literally have a sleep. I'd have a sandwich and a sleep at rehearsals for Merchant of Venice for half an hour at lunchtime. I'd have, my rush down and get some, you know, noodles. Head to Belvoir on the train. Do Mister Burns. Mister Burns is like a almost a three hour show mm-hmm. too. So I just I couldn't go out and drink. I just had to sleep straight away. But that was yeah. But once I was on stage, I was fine. Like I, was like, oh. I actually am very comfortable on stage. Like I actually find it's a very happy place for me to be. So what, but it was, yeah, you have, you have to be, you know, very, as you say, take care of the tools and, and vocally like, and I had, and actually, that was the thing with Annie Lou. She was like, I want you to scream and shout in rehearsals. I'm like, uh, I'll get there, but I've also got to do a show tonight. So I'm, I can't bust a nodule in on day four in rehearsals. So, uh, yeah, but Mr. Burns was great because it was, um, you're quite naturalistic and then it was kind of operatic by the end of it and uh, but a lot, a lot of fun and again lucky for me that both companies were amazing too and very supportive of you know but a lot of actors do that like you know have to rehearse in the day and perform at night and um it's, it's lucky but you yeah you've got to take good care of yourself so yeah mm. is there a role that you're still hankering after uh, he's a couple. I'm sure. Yeah. He, 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 every actor has. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one. I might be doing next year. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So therefore you can't talk about it, probably. I'll tell you after the podcast. All oh, right. Sure. Then we're off uh, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's good. Yeah, That's yeah, great. Yeah. All right. We're but you can't, I get, you can't, like I did say when I got this job, I can't, you know, go, and now my Hamlet. So yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. Um, you
0: you can't be uh, I think you've allowed one be a bon tree. You can't be one of those actor managers. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, sort
1: of. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Not tonight. Yeah. Kids <laughs> King Leo. But there are there are roles I look at that I was like like Sunday in the Park with George is my favourite musical but I always go I when I was younger I thought oh, I want to play George, but now I go, No, I don't. I just wanna see that Manny Batink and Bernadette Peters show again and again and again. Why is it your favourite? Oh, I think I was talking to Melissa and, Matt and Gray about this recently. Like the notion of when art is something that actually fulfills you so deeply that's wonderful but there is a cost to it like you do go when it's all encompassing you do lose other parts of your life and you have to give up things and what I did for love well that totally totally Mm -hmm. and there's always that tension about oh I've what's the parade before the parade (laughs) that's like that as well So I, and I think that show captures it so beautifully, but I do think it celebrates so fantastically what is transformative and unifying about art in a way that no other show does. Art isn't easy. That's right, even when you're hot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you superstitious in the theatre?
1: Yep. Yeah? Yep, yep, yep. Counts like Scottish play near me. I don't like people whistling. Whistling is if th- people whistle now in the theatre, I, I still say, don't whistle. Something will drop on your head. But um, if if someone does a Scottish play, I, I'm very full on about get out, turn, spin three times, name a dead actress. People go, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm not doing it. I'm like, yeah, you are. Actually, I'm not going on <laughs> until you do that. So <laughs> <laughs> so they do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nancy, Nancy apparently says something to herself before she goes on stage, that she's had some little mantra that she does before she goes on but I don't do that but and I've got I've got the same little makeup towel that I've had on every show I've ever done this Great. faded old brown can't have makeup. holes in it now it's holes yeah it's holes sorry holes and um, you know it's been washed many times though so, oh good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. good good
0: yeah. Um, do you wear makeup nowadays do actors wear makeup
1: not unless it's a particular yeah, yeah something. like some of my gentleman's guide I will but mm. not 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 really in you know, like a normal play, maybe a little bit of tinted moisturiser just to kind of cover <laughs> some of the blemishes, <laughs> but not real. I can't st- like anyone doing a, like a dinner party play, a man wearing eyeliner, it's just not on. Yeah, I think. You no. Know? No. Or putting the whites in the corner of their eyes <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, it's funny, but it's yeah, yeah. Carmine. Yeah, 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 it's all yeah. The you can see it, can't you? Uh, yeah. Do you
0: have an opening night ritual that you go through something that you? Have?
1: I do like to write night cards to people. Sometimes I fail, but, but um, and if you continue that as a, an artistic director yeah, pretty much. Yeah, some again. Sometimes I'm ah like, oh, missed it, but um, I love it because the lead up is all about oh my god, self obsession and ah. but spending that last day going ah, oh, actually not not about me at all. It's about all these other people who are actually everyone's working as hard and it's a great reminder. I think writing overnight cards is a great reminder that you're only a small cog. In the wheel, and actually, how what well, how lucky and what a privilege it is to be with this kind of company of people. So, yeah, I love doing that. So, mm. it's fun. Do you read reviews always? Really, everything? Yeah. Well,
0: I think if you're honest, do you? mm, <laughs> mm. why why do you read reviews? Is it that an ego
1: thing, or is it mm. to learn what le- what might be working and to, to might- learn? Because I think there are often honest responses to the work that. You know, my family are very honest in what they think about things and, you know, sometimes cruelly honest. But um, friends, I think... Good friends will be honest, but I think it's reviews are good because they'll give you an honest response. And and once you learn what people's predilections are, you can go, oh, well, John Chan's not going to like that or Alison Croghan will hate this. And that's fine. These days, it's more about what quotes can I pull in order to kind of sell shows, mm. you know. So, But I'm always interested, you know and yeah I know a lot of people and it, look it does impact you like if you get a bad review you do take it on board a good review can fuck you up as well because you go oh here comes that bit which they thought was awesome and then you can can't do it for six nights in a row so <laughs> but I think it's useful mm.
0: what's your go-to song for musicals at auditions oh do you have a
1: song that you like to pull out soon it's gonna rain from the Fantastics. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. That's one of my go You've been singing it for thirty years. years. I love that song. Great. Being alive is always good. Somewhere's not a bad one. So, feed me. I've often done feed me for auditions. So. Because you did um, Little Shop, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't sing that song, of course. But no. that's always you know, if you need to bust it out, pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. gorgeous.
0: <laughs> so, Mitch, do you want to? Um Plug the remainder of your
1: 2021 season. Oh, well, you can still subscribe. You can still get a five-play package to the remaining shows. Uh, What we've got left, Seven Sages of Grieving from STC. I'm directing a great new play called Hibernation, which is kind of climate change, dystopic sci-fi play set in Adelaide, Korea, South America, Africa and Los Angeles by Finnegan Krukemeyer, which is awesome. Big uh, 10-person cast, which we're doing here. Then we are doing a First Nations-led version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Jimmy Barney and Margaret Harvey directing. That's very exciting. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I think Susan Pryor is playing Martha. We haven't announced that yet, but we will be this week, who's now living back in Adelaide. Uh, then this awesome play called Eureka Day, which I chose before COVID, but it's about vaccinations, pandemics, woke culture, cancel culture, all set in a, in a kind of very... PC school in Berkeley California it's amazing so which and it degenerates into this kind of Facebook war of people you know screaming at each other in kind of counterpoint it's such a brilliant play so Rosalba's directing that at the end of the year with Glyn Nicholas who Why? Well, yeah, he lives in yeah. Adelaide now. So, um, yeah, Petty and,
0: and biscuit. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's um, and he wrote some terrific musicals too. Because the plumber's musical,
1: plumber's opera. That's right. And certified mail yeah. and yeah. kissing frogs and stuff. So yeah, Glenn's great. I'm really pleased that he's in that. So yeah, it's a really good. A great. We've been to, and everything's sold really well so far this year. So um, the Virginia Wolf hibernation and Eureka reckon are our big shows for the year. So we've mm-hmm. got some stickers uh, to sell but it's exciting any hints for 2022 or, uh, uh, a couple ahead? of Co-Pros with some of the eastern st- states right, things right. that might get over there um, a bit of a musical perhaps might right. be appearing because you pro- would have
0: to start I mean we're, we're in uh, we're now in June mm. 2021
1: but you've got to start thinking about yeah we're nearly locked off I guess you're even at the think about 2023 oh god yeah we've already got a template for 2023 it's yeah. bizarre like you know and but also, there's a. With the bigger shows too, you kind of have to co produce them with other people. Like, the minute you're over eight people, it's like, okay, this is really. Which is cruel to say, because it's gone in the days when you could do. We are doing Julius Caesar with 20 people, you know. It's just a different funding um, kind of paradigm these days. But. But uh, collaborating is fun as well, and finding people who've got similar alignments about the works they want to do. And, but yeah, you, and we've got a lot of commissions in, in um, already happening that will come to fruition over the next few years. But it's it's good to see that to see that roll out. Well, Mitchell Patel, it's uh, absolutely wonderful to be in
0: Adelaide again. And it's uh, delightful to uh, to catch up with you again. To you your good self, Peter. Um, and have this conversation for the Stages podcast. Uh, all the best for 2021, the, rest, the remainder of it. And, and thank you for this, this lovely chat. Thank you so much. As you heard, I caught up with Mitchell in Adelaide, where he's busily preparing for the 2022 season of the South Australian Theatre Company. My guest today mitchell butel thanks for joining us in this episode you can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website www.stagespodcast.com.au do check it out i'm peter eyes keep well keep warm and i'll catch you next time